to Dads is a podcast to help men understand and navigate the transition of being a single dude into a family man. How do we make sense of it all? Well, we probably won't be able to, but let's go ahead and have some fun trying. And we are back. We're back. Once again, Dudes to Dads, I'm Jason Kreidman. I'm Alan Bush. And this is Dudes to Dads, yeah. which I just said. <laughs> so I'm repeating myself That's already. That's all right. It's been a this long was day. to hear it. It's been a long day. As we uh, typically do, we're recording late at night. Yeah. And uh, in the, yeah, it's getting dark. How was your week? Good. Yeah. It was a really good but busy week. I feel like I haven't seen you in a whole week. It's been, it's exactly. <laughs> but uh, we've got a great episode for you today. You know, we've been talking recently a little bit deeper topics. Yeah. Um, I know, they seem to be resonating well with, with listeners. You know, we're yeah. getting some good feedback. Well, and it's good to bring in other expert advice. Well, as we always say, we yeah. like people that are smarter than us. <laughs> right. We talk about stuff often. Not hard to do. But. We, we, yeah, I know. We talk about stuff that we think we know. <laughs> right. Um, I like to be an expert on everything. Sure. Uh, I can't be. And so we like to bring in those people that actually know what they're talking yeah. about. And today is no different. Uh, we've got Chris McDuffie. Chris is the CEO and founder of Turning Point Addiction and Recovery Services. He's also a practicing counselor at a residential treatment center. So yeah. if you haven't deduced what we're going to be talking about today, <laughs> right. um, we're talking about addiction. Yeah. And what we're going to go into is the topics and the, and the ideas that, you know, when guys are going through the transition of going from a dude to a dad, there's all these different things that are going on that we talk about. One of the big things that happens is addiction. Yeah. And so, you know, of all kinds, and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, so just want to welcome Chris. How you doing? Say hello to everybody. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. So, and Chris is local here in San Diego as well. Yeah. Um, and we will talk about, you know, his services and what he does. But, you know, I want to get into it. Like I had just mentioned, you know, we're really wanting to look at, you know, reasons and how or why people come and see you. Why don't you give us first a little bit of background of yourself and kind of what you do? And then, you know, who who is coming to see you? Sure. Who, who are these guys? Sure. Great question. And first, thanks for having me. It's a great show. I appreciate what you do for dads. Excellent. So I'm a retired high school history teacher and retired school principal and a college lacrosse coach. So my background is certainly education and working with kids and parents. And, uh, I went on after a couple of graduate degrees to get a, a uh, program degree at uh, UCSD in addiction counseling. So one of the hats that I wear is a uh, residential treatment center. I'm an addiction counselor on staff. And at a place like a residential treatment center, we get folks, usually adults in that facility, 18 and up, who are here for 30 days and work on their recovery. Uh, it can be uh, addiction to opiates or alcohol or both or benzos, for example. And typically they have what we call co-occurring disorders where not only do they have a full-blown raging addiction ruining their life, but they also have things like bipolar bipolar or mm. depression or... Um, yeah. There's a lot know, of stuff going Borderline personality <laughs> disorder. <laughs> it's not you just know, one thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, psychology and the addiction. Yeah. Itself, yeah. And then the other hat that I wear with Turning Point is uh, we place kids or adults in the very best treatment anywhere in the country. So we work with the family to make sure that they find... Um, the best resources based on the situation based so. on the situation and is that is that and you work with people all over the country all around so the you country can work with people and place them over the country so Indeed. you kind of understand where the specialty areas are and that Indeed. kind of thing our team does interventions our team finds the um, 
best possible program for them. Okay. We work with the family and the individual while they're placed, and we help them with aftercare discharge for the full year. Wow. Okay. So yeah. you've got quite a lot of experience in in, in this yeah, area. Yeah, no one this. could accuse you of being lazy. <laughs> Jeez. I'm also a dad. He's got, <laughs> yeah. he's got 14 jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's, uh, I know how that is. I know how that is. So, and as I had mentioned, you know, we're, we're this focus on the dad, you know, and the idea that um, the transition of when you're becoming a father or you've become a father is very, very stressful, you know, and it's one I'm sure of many, many stressful situations. But we often can see that, you know, people will turn to either substances or something. Is, is that something that is prevalent? I mean, that you see? I mean, is it, or is just, it's, you know, it's coping with the current situation? You know, kind of what, what are the types of men or the types of parents that come and see you? Sure. That's a great question. Um, you know, being a dad is uh, stressful. Uh, wearing different hats is stressful and taxing. And the question becomes, how well are we mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, for example, in handling ourselves uh, and the stress that we're under. So uh, addiction, unfortunately, cuts through all races and genders and ages and socioeconomic groups. And um, it's a disease. It's a disease that ruins people and dads and, and the family. That's why we call it a family disease. Yeah. So, um, you know, different treatment centers specialize in different uh, nuances. One treatment center might be for teens. One treatment center might be for men only. Um, but the folks that come to see us are people who um, typically are dependent. You know, they're, they're dependent on a drug or they're dependent on a compulsive behavior. Mm. And unfortunately, they turn to that drug or alcohol as a solution. It's a horrible, tragic, bad solution yeah. uh, for an underlying problem. So our hope is to help them identify, A, that it's a bad solution. Yeah. But B, really, what is the problem that's driving them that they really aren't handling well? And, you know, as dads, uh, sometimes we um, rely too much on how we were raised. Okay. And uh, we might have been raised in an addictive household. We might have been raised in an abusive household. Um, so it's really about resiliency and, and even grit, if you will. That word's back in fashion now in parenting. Grit. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we know that the earlier a kid starts using, you know, 10, 12, right. 13 years old, there's a huge correlation to future addiction rates. Right. Mm. So I would imagine, you know, the, when somebody is susceptible to that, let's say they, they have, you know, I don't know if it's called an addictive personality, but they've had other addictions in the past or they're currently going through it. I would imagine that that gets exactly exacerbated and, and just blows up when you're going through those kinds of stressful situations, you know, let alone having a baby, you know, getting married, sure, having yeah. a baby, um, you know, your life begins to change. And I would imagine that addiction flares up, if you will, at huge life changes, whether somebody else passes away, whether you have a baby, whether you are getting divorced, what, you know, whatever that is. Those big life changes are, are are those often those triggers that will well put someone over the edge. You know, maybe they were recovering before, now they're going back to their old, quote old ways. Do you see that a lot? Where it is a there's actually there's an actual trigger that happens. It, it sure can be. Um, usually for the addict, it starts in high school. You know, these guys, these dads that we're talking about, are probably um, suffering from some level of addiction or dependency long before they get married or um, have that first kid. They just never had did anything with it. Right. They might have been using up through the entire time, and it just becomes acute enough. Uh, in that marriage where the, the damage and the destruction is so apparent. You might have a loved one now calling them on their 
actions. Right. Uh, yeah. Ask, no, asking them to be more responsible. Previously, we're people, no responsibility. No one's holding them accountable. Right. A couple yeah. of dudes living alone in a PB. Yeah. Drink all you want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, in a cool PB beach house. You know, <laughs> right. not much accountability. Yeah. I'm not most supportive of your addictions. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you talked about the acute crisis, if you will, that a dad might be facing. But we also know that people use drugs or abuse drugs just from boredom. You know, just right. from isolating too much or mm. being lonely too much and depressed too much. So um, the idea is to get help. The idea is to ask questions, get help, go to resources that are out there. Talk to your primary physician. Talk to Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. Um, talk to your pastor. Talk to your priest. Talk to somebody else who might have an understanding about um you and cares enough about you to say, hey, maybe you're handling the stress. Do most the wrong addicts way. know that they're an addict? Uh, they probably don't know because um, for some of them, they it's normalized. You know, if they're growing up in an addictive family, it's just kind of normalized. You know, they might even think, hey, I don't use beer or alcohol as bad as mom or dad did. So, ergo, I'm and, not. Or an I still have a job. Mm-hmm. I still you have know? a job, and they think functioning. they're functioning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a term that people kind of throw around. Like, I'm a functioning I, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember, you know, I used to listen to uh, Loveline, which was a popular popular radio show when I was growing up. Yeah. And, you know, the the definition that Doctor Drew, who's now famous, would say is, you know, addiction is something that affects the people around you. I mean, you become quote an addict when, you know, let's say you're a drinker and all of a sudden, you know, you're not getting up for work, mm-hmm. you know, or so people have this tendency to say, well, I'm functional. Like I, I work, I take care of my kids. I'm a good husband. I'm a whatever, but they might be using something, you know, a substance or doing whatever. Right. And not right. realizing that they, you know, just because you're quote functional doesn't mean you're not an addict. <laughs> in, yeah. Indeed, the question becomes: What do you consider functioning? You know, um, again, if you have role models of moms or dads or older brothers or even colleagues or bosses, um, maybe the question is um, bush league. You know, are you really living a bush league level of lifestyle? You're fifty percent productive, you're, yeah, or, or worse. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's interesting. That's something I have to point out almost on a daily basis when working with adults. You know, adult, adults will talk about the plaques on their wall in their office. Yeah. Uh, or, well, that's male ego, too. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm better than my dad was, right. you know, or yeah. I'm, I'm better than I grew I've up. accomplished you know? way more. Yeah, I'm an attorney, or yeah. I'm a doctor, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's right. like you said, it does it crosses all lines, too, the educational lines. I mean, that's what I find amazing, too, about, you know, something like this. It's like, there's not really stereotypes, mm-hmm. You know, you can't you could probably go into a treatment facility and see all different levels literally of everybody. I mean, from socioeconomic ages, ages, uh, ethnicities, education levels, you know, all kinds of things. It's, you know, what is there a tie? I mean, is there a tie to all those people? I mean, is there you know, there might be a couple like you said, isolation, um, not having a support around you, lack of love, lack of that kind of stuff. I mean, is that maybe a. Um, a thread that is common? Yeah, I think um, some people have different levels of resiliency. Uh, some people are born with a, um, a family or a network or a, a group that they can really turn to and have quality leadership and role models in their life. But even in that group, an individual can be an addict. Because remember, this is also biochemical and genetic that we're talking about. Um, so they make know. a decision to try something and then all of a sudden they want it again. Right. Without realizing that 
they're now addicted. Right. And, and of course, the number one epidemic in America right now is the pain pills, you know, the pain pills. And um, so that's considered the number one, like number one, number one cause of addiction, opiates or anything like that. Yep. Number one cause of addiction just recently nationwide um, driving under the impairment of pills uh, and probably even marijuana just surpassed drunk driving. Wow. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. What kind of pills specifically? Um, oxycodone, Oxycontin, yeah. uh, Vicodin, Vicodin, you know, um, any of the legal medications that are highly addictive. Yeah. Uh, people go in for back pain and people go in for root canals. And um, uh, it's a real challenge. Actually, FDA just passed that kids could have these pills now, kids under the age of 18. In, for um, medical reasons? For medical mean? reasons. Uh, these are all legalized drugs that are in your um, medicine cabinet. And uh, some of them are highly, highly uh, addictive. And um, the reason is an opiate ec- epidemic is because it's cheaper to buy the opium than it is to buy the pill on the black market. Mm. So um, that's why you see the pills actually turning into an opium craze. Wow, that's um, startling. Mm. Yeah. You know, the idea, you know, and, and legal medication being it's, exactly yeah. it's a legal medication. I mean, yeah. we've I've had all kinds of conversations with colleagues and family members and things about, you know, the various types of medications that. Um, you know, people can have access to, yeah. you know, and being careful about that. I, I, I mean, I recall I had surgery, you know, I had shoulder surgery not too long ago. And I remember, and it wasn't because I was worried I was going to become addicted. I just didn't want to have it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, uh, uh-uh. I just, I, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to even know what, what the feeling is. I don't want to, you know, congratulations. You're not an addict. Yeah. yeah. No, I, was, I had a root canal. <laughs> at least I, not with I that. Took a half of Vicodin. Yeah. And only because the, my girlfriend at the time was like, let me just cut one in half and you just yeah. swallow it. But it'd be, like, I don't want to, but it'd be interesting how many pills your dentist across the country or doctor across the country might've given, uh, oh, sure. The individual, Absolutely. and yeah. that's the, that's what creates the propensity and the proliferation, if you will. Yeah. Well, why would pills. we solve the problem when we can just take a pill to fix it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's. Uh, I mean, you said some of the work you do is the wellness and that yeah. kind of stuff, and that obviously taps into a lot of that. It's like, right. You know, we don't go after the problems, you know, and I'm sure that's what the recovery and, like you said, it's a lot of psychological stuff. Yeah. It's not just the physical, but you know, you're not solving the problem. You're just taking a drug to make you feel better. Right. right. You know, and in the end, it's like, you know, the damage that that can do. Um, yeah. I, you know, we had had another guest on uh, Dr. Singley who had talked about, you know, when people are going through this process of, of um, you know, getting married, having children, just the amount of stress that that can cause. And like you mentioned, it's just, you can kind of just end up turning to stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you're looking for an escape. Yeah. And remember, we're talking about serious levels of depression or serious levels of um, bipolar. You know, that's also part of this equation. This is not just somebody who, you know, is lazy. This is not just somebody who the boss is asking for more work and, and, and they have some kind of breakdown. You know, these are um, real deal, serious psychological, mental issues that are happening um, as Which we, happens first? Does the mental issue happen? We, we don't know. You know, science doesn't Chicken know. Chicken and egg. <laughs> yeah, science science mm-hmm. doesn't know. That's why we talk about dual diagnosis or comorbidity, where the individual is, individual is suffering from a mental health issue as well as the addiction itself. Okay. And so, you know, for, for the audience of, let's say there's a, you know, a dad out there who 
is not sure that they're addicted. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you how does an individual identify that they are an addict? Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of the things to look at. Say, hey, I like to do this on the weekends or I like to, you know, once in a while I, I engage in this activity. Mm-hmm. How do you define it or how is it defined, you know, where you say, you know what, maybe I should at least talk to somebody or reach out and at least see that I'm, uh, I'm OK and I'm going down a good path. Sure. And the general rule of thumb is that they understand that's affecting their life and they really can't live without that drug in their system. So there is a difference between somebody who is, quote, a heavy drinker, for example, and an alcoholic. And that's something that a clinician or a doctor would have to help them understand. But generally speaking, if they find themselves uh, not able to handle life on life's terms. You know, so that's of, not just I came home from work. Gosh, I need a drink. Right. I mean, yeah, the, well, that, the, that's not great. But the, <laughs> the, the issue is how many drinks are you having? How often? And, and how often are you doing it every night? And, and saying that um, I'm not going to work out, I'm not going to run, I'm not going to pray, I'm not going to exercise, you know, that the drink is going to become this kind of cure-all. And that if you find that over time that this is um, hurting your marriage, hurting your relationships with playing cash with your kid out front, uh, making you show up late for work, um, then you start. You might to be see, an addict. Remember yeah, that you yeah. might be a redneck. Yeah, you might be. You might be. You might be an addict. You might be an addict. Yeah. The good news is there's a solution. You know, you don't have to suffer. You know, yeah. these problems are. There's no cure for addiction. You know, the individual we believe in in, in the field is that uh, you can never drink or use again properly, quote unquote. So we we do not believe most of us in the field that there is no such thing, for example, as moderation of your drinking or Got moderation it. of your marijuana use. If you are an, ad- an addict, if, an, if you're an addict, it's about going um, completely clean. With and, everything. With ev- with all those types of mood-altering drugs. Okay. You know, we can talk about sugar and caffeine, cigarettes, you know, right. maybe another time. But right now we're Everybody at the, the meetings goes stuff. outside and smokes. You some, know, do. Yeah. Yeah. some do. Some do. I've seen those AA meetings and yeah. everyone's out there smoking. I'm like, yeah. you're just swapping it, man. Like, yeah. you going to get off there. Yeah, actually, well, the number one cause of death for alcoholics is lung cancer. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, we're laughing. Yeah. It's so serious. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. not, I'm yeah. not ha, ha, funny. It's like, ha, ha. Yeah, huge correlation between smoking cigarettes and alcoholics. That's so funny. And it, it's a really good point because I was a psych, took a psychology and I was a psych major in college. But, cool. Um, addiction is what you're really honing in on. Not alcoholism mm-hmm. or addiction to pills mm-hmm. per se, but it's mm-hmm. like the addiction itself. Mm-hmm. It's like you, you're, you have a problem with things yes. in general yes and we need to solve that yeah the addict is addicted to more yes that's yeah. the idea ah. the addict is addicted to more it's not just the substance yeah i'd like to approach it like that i like to normalize it yeah you know i like to make sure that the addict of whatever substance sees or himself yeah. or thing or behavior yeah. sees themselves as that community of a group of people that kind of have a lot in common yeah more than they might think and again, there is a solution. There is Alcoholics Anonymous. There is Narcotics Anonymous. There are medications that can block the cravings. There are treatment centers. There are um, intensive outpatient but programs. But they have to want it. They have to want it. Uh, the old colloquialism was you wait until the addict hits bottom. And the problem is people die before they hit bottom. And things like opium and heroin is not something you want to sit quietly back and watch right. your loved one kind of wait to see if they possibly hit bottom because yeah. death is such a high rate of instance. Sure. So interventions, for example, is what allows the family with the intervention is to, quote, bring the bottom up to them okay. so that they don't have to, quote... Let them recognize it a little sooner. A little sooner. Yeah. A little yeah, sooner. A there. little <laughs> sooner. And then prevent relapse. You know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, for example, will never have a chance to relapse again. Right. right. So relapse and drug use has really, really serious dire consequences. And the idea is to get people well and safe as soon as possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and you know, you're you're talking about this. Um, you know, as all these things are going through my head of like all these scenarios of my children and like keeping them away from all this. Yeah, and have, you know, let's talk about that. Yeah, like how because it's so powerful. Yeah, you know, and you in the innocence of like trying stuff. You yep. know, as you become an adult or you're going through the experience of teenagers into college yep. or whatever of this experimentation, yep. how, how do you navigate that as a parent? Great you know, question. That's, it, which is a little different than what we're talking about, about the, you know, the dad being addict is, you know, empowering the child to know that, Hey, if you are curious, these are the consequences. I mean, sure. how do you even, appro- I don't even know how do you approach that? Mm-hmm. Well, here, here's the problem. Um, the majority of the country has no drug and alcohol prevention curriculum in the schools. Those states that do have something in the schools is called DARE, and we've proven nationwide that DARE is largely ineffective. Mm. So America, nationwide, has largely no quality, if any, drug and alcohol prevention What was the DARE? Why was that so ineffective? The the idea was that a police officer who was well-meaning was going to go in and, uh, in effect, move the teacher aside and kind of lecture and teach about say no to drugs uh, was proven to be largely ineffective, meaning that... Uh, the police officer was probably not um, the best individual to be teaching that kind of important yeah. topic. Got it. Uh, also, what we've learned is you really want the three-legged stool approach. You want a quality program that's evidence-based, and they do exist, in the school, also working with the community, and also working with the parents. And the problem largely with there was that it was largely working with one leg of those three legs. Mm. Got it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of research on, uh, you know, I love police. They're in my family. Great, great people. But, you know, largely not a productive uh, outcome. Okay. So for kids, we want to stop them as young as possible. Now, getting to a dad, if a dad is an addict, then as we're talking about being a good dad, you know, you want to get well as soon as possible so you cannot roll this onto your children. Right. Uh, if it is genetic, then you want to help be the last one in the family to make that genetic stop. Um, there's research now on uh, marijuana users. Their children are now uh, have a greater propensity for craving heroin and becoming addicts because they are a child of a marijuana abuser. So we're talking about generations of yeah. uh, your family being effective if you're a dad who's still using and not there to watch your kids. And it doesn't, I mean, that's not even using in front of your kids. Correct. It has nothing to do with that. It's just Correct. the propensity because you are using, you have a tendency you know, to do that. Correct. You know? so, so what you want to do as a dad is delay the onset of that child's first drug use as much as possible. And how do you do that? You do that with <laughs> the education that's not in the schools. You bring that to the home. Uh, you get sober yourself and get well yourself and become a good, healthy role model for your child. Um, you um, the scaring them work? Uh, probably not. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, um, the police officer approach is kind of circling back. Well, to yeah, that they show the accidents and they well, show. Yeah, the, and you I know. feel like that, and I, I can almost see why that's ineffective. Not that the police officer doesn't have good meaning, and then there, that is consequence. But then you're only showing the consequences, not what the problem is actually there and what's causing it. Or the alternative. People are still going to want to do it. Yeah, the alternative of I, I guess that's part of it is that psychology is what's the alternative? Well, yeah. if you're having an issue, yeah. come talk to me. And then, come, you know, well, and then some of the drugs are legal, so. It's not even like so. The officer is telling me I can't do the illegal drugs. All right, so I'm going to get addicted to the things that I'm that are actually legal. So you know what's interesting? My kids. Oh. I have a, a six year old boy and a or I'm sorry, seven year old boy and five year old. Wow, they're getting they're growing fast. <laughs> they're aging um, right in front of you. We um, have talked about the topic has come up a lot because it talks about celebrity. So one of the things like my son, for example, loves Michael Jackson. 
And he's like, well, how did he die? You know, because we had said he died. And we talked about drugs. And he's like, well, I thought, you know, and so we started talking about, quote, good drugs and bad drugs. And it was just weird because I didn't really know how to have the conversation. I mean, I, I was never educated in what that means. So, but I'm trying to tell him, he's like, so if we say something and say, well, you need the drug sometimes if you had a surgery or, you know, and that as long as it's under a doctor's care, you know, we're, I'm trying to like, it's a very complicated concept that I'm trying to discuss That's with my son. Tonight. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and I'm trying to explain it and probably did okay. I, I would give myself maybe a C plus, you know, B minus. But I do think if we were continually then talking about it, because it was funny the other day, you know, um, somebody else came up and my da- my son had said, you know, what happened? To him? Oh, well, they died of drugs. He's like, I am never taking drugs, you know. And that was like, I was like, good, you know. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean, you know, it, it, that's not the solution. But it was just having that open conversation about here's what it can do. Sure, you know. But it's your decision. Like, you know, and that's that's the difficult part is like mm-hmm. how you talk about it with your child, mm-hmm. you know, and how do you do it from an honesty standpoint? If you had tried something, um, you know, I have the benefit and some things of not ever being in that world. Right. You know, so I can talk from my own heart and say, well, yes, I do drink beer, but I don't do X, Y, Z or something like that. But you also don't want to be hypocritical. I mean, even for my son to say, well, hey, I want to try beer. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah. no, <laughs> I only do diet crap. <laughs> I, I think a couple of things is, and you, you guys nailed it, is become educated parents so you can know what you're talking about. You know, the marijuana that spoke today, there's different levels of THC now that was not around the 70s in Woodstock. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the marijuana actually goes up to a level called green crack, you know, because it's just so potent. And... Um, the extraction of the THC now in liquid form. You'll hear the kids yeah, talk about butter. Vapor and all that. Well, it's, it's just, yeah, it's, hash, it's ha- you know, hash, hash and, and butter and, yeah. you know, these kind of dewy products that they can put on spreads and actually digest it and oh, eat wow. it. Yeah. You know, these are real deal high levels of THC that, you know, you probably don't want your 10-year-old messing around with. So um, my other rule for parents is you wouldn't let your 4-year-old run around the house with steak knives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you would you you wouldn't say, oh, I'll just let him smoke marijuana uh, all summer long, and then I'll talk about it right. next year afterwards. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but how do you do that as a parent who may smoke? Sure. On you know maybe a parent does smoke on a weekend or you know on a special occasions or whatever. Hypocritically having that conversation. Sure. Sure. And I'm not here championing you know the idea that we need to ban drugs legally or not legally. That's not the issue. The issue is uh, health and wellness. You know. Um, what are you exposing your kids to? How well are they sleeping at night? What is their diet? What is their nutrition? What is their exercise? And I think that's all part of the equation. Yeah. And, um, you know, not every child gets um, addicted or not every individual gets addicted to alcohol or marijuana. So that's probably not what we're really worried about tonight. What we're worried about is um, the propensity in that family, the propensity of that child, often when they're left alone. If divorce or parents are working too much and the child's left alone, um, is a good chance that they're going to be left floundering around looking for attention yeah. and some negative attention, and that could be trouble for a young mind. Well, I had also heard, too, uh, um, that the experimentation of drugs by young people most often happens between 3 to 6 p.m. Mm. in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm. So it's not a Friday night party thing. It's, right. It is after school when the yeah. parents are still at work. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't, you know, they're by themselves. They don't have anything to do. Like you said, it's boredom or it's, you know, experimentation. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, throw the kids in sports, put them in activities and other things. Um, but that really does keep people out of trouble in a sense. It, you know? it can. You know, um, I think uh, expectations also, you know, a child might be in uh, a sport, but if mom and dad are pressuring the kid to be the number one quarterback in the country by age 15 and get straight A's in all their AP classes, um, you know, that could be a lot of pr- pressure they're putting on that kid right. who's later on going to be an adult and a right. dad one day. Yeah. So um, I think the idea is to be fair to our kids, um, be mindful of what we're asking our kids to do and to what level we're asking our kids to perform, and know that there's some consequences to putting too much stress or pressure on our kids. If, right. And if we're not paying attention to them, there's some dire risks out there. Yeah, and, you know, we, we talked briefly just about, you know, how to diagnose if you're an addict. Mm-hmm. Um, what about seeing if your kids are addicts? Mm-hmm. Good question. You know, that's, that's something else. I mean, most parents will say, well, I would know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the pediatrician's for. That's what the doctor's visits are for. Um, if you and, and be mindful of your child, if they're sleeping too late, if they're groggy in the morning, if their clothes smells like marijuana, uh, there, are, there are, diff- are pretty, pretty uh, easy signs. Clear yeah. signals. Yeah, there are different uh, tests that they can do. Um, some are cheaper and, and through insurance. Others are, are more expensive and you have to pay for cash pay. But um, the idea is where there's smoke, there's fire. And, um, you know, for kids and adults and dads, uh, the, the whole idea is to get well as soon as possible and make sure they realize that um, relying on an alcohol or drug or a substance or compulsive behavior like shopping or gambling or workaholism is probably not really um, going to serve them and their family well. Well, and that, and that touches on something very specific of how do you have that conversation? So let's let's take a scenario because I think this is something that you know parents struggle with. You you're, you're, you have a teenager. And they're good. You know, all, for all intents and purposes, they're a good kid. They do well in school. They have a lot of friends. You feel like you have a decent relationship with them, but you find something. Mm-hmm. And you find something that is alarming, you know, whether it be some paraphernalia, something, you know, or they, like you said, they sleep, they, mm-hmm. they're doing something. How, what is the approach to not, one, ruin the relationship? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of that is based on trust. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the approach like we try to or I try to teach my kids is like, you know, tell the truth and you won't get in trouble, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so you try to obviously do that from a very young age. Now, not saying, OK, you can't go back and fix a problem that you may have already had. But what is a kind of approach that you could take when you find something like that mm-hmm. to be very gentle and supportive rather than, you know, accusatory and like you're going to ruin your life and I mean because when you do that to it especially a teenager the last thing they're going to want to do is hang out with you and and listen to you yeah great question again I'm trying to separate the occasional user from the actual child who's really suffering so I'm trying to really focus tonight on the kid who's suffering so if the child is cutting if the child is hurting himself or herself and the parents find drugs or drug paraphernalia and there's a real cute signs of acute problems there then you're right. The idea is, is love. Give them as much love and attention and care. Because it means they might not be getting it. Because exactly, and, and that we're talking about a problem here where the child is probably really sick, mentally not well, not happy, really depressed, really sad, and screaming and yelling and you know punching walls is not really the best answer. That child needs a lot of care and support, and um, 
But we don't often do that with addicts. You know, I mean, we get angry. We mm-hmm. lock them up. Yep. We get them in trouble. Yep. We do. I mean, yep. you know, we've t- we t- had a brief conversation about that. It's like that doesn't seem to work. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. The, the, what, usually, what I'll do at this point of a intervention, I'll say to the family, um, "You wouldn't kick the guy in the head with cancer." <laughs> why are you kicking the addict in the head? You know, yeah. why are you yelling and screaming at them? So you treat it that same way. Tr- yeah. As a clinician, we try to treat it the same way. What we want to point out to the family and the loved ones is we know you were negatively impacted by their behavior. We know that they spent a lot of money or they cheated on you in the marriage or they let you down or they failed out of Stanford and you feel really bad or they yelled and screamed while they were in a drug rage. And we know that's hurtful, and we can address that a little bit later. But please understand that person that's doing all that harm is hurting and suffering themselves. Mitch Hedberg, a comedian who actually died of, of, of heroin overdose, mm-hmm. but he uh, he said he said addiction is the only disease you can get yelled at for having. Yes, yes, and, and, <laughs> yeah. And addiction is the only yeah. disease that tells you you don't have a disease. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Strange. That is, yeah. <laughs> it's one to think about. Yeah, right, exactly. You know? Yeah, it's, it's something that, I, yeah, we don't really handle it in that manner. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I think as, as a parent, if you get to that stage, you really do have to look at the bigger picture to say, you know, am I spending enough time? Am I, and that's why, I mean, that's why we talk about what we do. It's about early Intervention, intervention, and but involvement. Mm-hmm. So you're not even having to deal with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it is having the. We talked about having the family dinners. Mm-hmm. You know, it's spending the quality time with the kids. Mm-hmm. The number one way to prevent your child from becoming an addict is to have dinner together with the TV off. Yeah, it's awesome. Proven. Yeah, the number one way for an addict to stop his children once he's in recovery to stop his children it's from becoming an addict together. is to have dinner together every night with the TV off. See, and that, you know, part of what, I mean, that totally makes sense is because you are spending that quality time connecting, you know, that is the part I think, and that's why I was saying about like this connection that, or disconnect that a majority of the people that you might encounter in your facility, they have a disconnection with other humans. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they are not feeling supported around them. They don't, they might feel alone. There's not a lot of support. And the best thing I'm guessing that the people around them who love them can do is support them. Now, that probably, like I said, doesn't happen. People go like, I'm sick of this person. They've treated us with tough love, you know, that kind of stuff. But that doesn't work. You know, it's the same thing. You lock them up, you know, the way that we deal with them, the way, you know. But you, it's very true. When you think of it as a disease, these, these people really need the support. Yeah. Well, th- think about why 12-step programs are so successful and AA turns 80 years old this year. AA gives the, that That's individual yeah. a fellowship, right? A fellowship of fellows in recovery, men and women who are working together, and that might become a family. That might become a dynamic that they might not have in their but life. But they have support. They have that support and positive role models. And um, you know, going back to uh, separating the face of the addict and their actions for the loved ones to think about, uh, I, we want the family to realize they're both suffering, the family and the addict is, are both suffering from the same disease. Mm-hmm. The addict is suffering when they drink it or smoke it, and you're suffering as a loved one um, in a very unique, dealing with different it. way by yeah. dealing with it. Yeah. So both family members need help. That's right. why there's things like Al-Anon right. you know, for the loved That's ones. That's for the family members. Yes. For the family right. members or Alateen. And um, there are solutions. 
to this. Right. There's no cure, but there's a solution. Right. Yeah, and that's important. Um, I, you know, I think the other thing too. I wanted to let uh, give you a chance to put out your information so Great. that people can, you know, if there are questions. I mean, if we have anybody that has any questions or concerns. Uh, you can always, you know, email us at the show at podcast at dudes to dads dot com. But how can people get in touch with you? Great. As well, great. Thanks. Our our website is uh, www.myturningpointbegins.com. That's myturningpointbegins.com. And on there, you'll see my email and our phone number. Our email is Chris, C-H-R-A-S-M, as in McDuffie, at myturningpointbegins.com. And, and they don't need to be in the local area or nope, anything like you nationwide. said. Nationwide. Nationwide. Okay. Yeah, nationwide. Great. And um, they can also join us for our private three-day wellness retreats. Oh. Uh, which are uh, 50% wellness and 50% educational. We have some of the top minds in the country that come to um, a local five-star hotel here in San Diego. Very cool. And they spend time with us and this uh, famous researcher and... Um, so what happens at like one of these retreat, what retreats or who's going to these retreats? Sure. These are corporate board retreats where corporate executives come together and they realize that uh, rather than drinking margaritas all weekend at the uh, pool, you know, it's not very productive for the, <laughs> the corporate bonding experience. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> no more of that. Um, they I was just in Las Vegas, by the way, and I saw that all over the place. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was 2 a.m. and I'm, I mean, I was there for a birthday and I saw all of these people from you know, yeah. corporate parties just sure. going crazy. Sure. sure. You know, so uh, we get together and have a great time at a five star resort hotel and folks can find more information if they email me on our website. And um, part of the weekend experience is diet, nutrition, exercise, yoga, meditation, wellness. Cool. And the other half of it is a uh, literally a uh, lecture seminar from a very famous uh, researcher or writer or author uh, around a mindfulness or meditation theme. And they can do that for a minimum of three days with us. And is that usually a group that comes? Yeah, we, we cap it at 30 people. Okay. And so it could be a board retreat where a board executive or a board retreat comes together with 30 executives. Right. Or it could be 30 uh, moms of moms that are, have kids in recovery. Got it. Um, or 30 dads with wives sure. in recovery or, you know, whatever, okay. whatever the 30 folks are. Awesome. Yeah. We'll, we'll put the links on the page of the podcast. So we'll put yeah. the links and the contact information for anybody who needs that. Um, or like I said, if you have questions, just uh, shoot us an email podcast at dudes to dads.com. Um, any other final thoughts of, you know, I guess resources and things to sure. do. That's that's ultimately what we're here for is, you know, the support that if somebody is going through uh, it themselves, meaning they, they think that they may have some issue, mm-hmm. that's, you know, one thing. The other is if, you know, a family member has it, you know, maybe their sure. spouse might have it or, or even their child. What What is the first thing to do? Sure. Well, I, I, I will give uh, any of your listeners a free 30-minute 30, 30 consultation. They oh, can well, call me you, directly yeah. and get a free consultation and get some free resources from talking to myself or somebody on our team at their website. Uh, they should, if they have problems or challenges, they should go to their local um, doctor, get blood tests, get work workups, ask the doctor questions, um, go online and look for resources in their community for addiction. Uh, intensive outpatient programs are a great way to start. They're three days a week for about three hours a day for about four four weeks. Okay, and that's a daytime treatment program where kid where kids or adults can still work and be at home and still kind of put their toe out there. And, still be um, productive. And still because, be productive at, yeah. at home and still learn about their addiction. Is that is that part of the addiction? You know, I guess the uh, recovery and not addiction process, but mm-hmm. the you know, 
still doing work, you know, and still doing stuff. It, that it, is it depends. In the the first thing we care about is the first ninety days in recovery. Mm-hmm. The first thirty, sixty, ninety days. If you think about anybody learning a new skill, if they can do it for ninety days, they'll probably get pretty good at it. Right. And the idea is based on the acuity. Where do they need to be? Do they need to be at a residential treatment program? for 30, 60, 90 days where they live 24-7 and really get get to get to work every day and every night on that addiction and on that depression or illness? Uh, or can they handle it with uh, just 12-step meetings, yeah. you know, in the evening for 90 days? Right, right. Depends on the severity. Depends on the severity. Yeah. And also, unfortunately, depends on their pocketbook, you know, with cash sure. pay and with insurance uh, situations being what it is. Unfortunately, in this country, it's often... Um, the better Pretty care, expensive. Yeah. The better care can be quite expensive. Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. I appreciate that. You know, joining us, uh, Chris McDuffie, we really appreciate it. Um, like I said, we'll put some more, we'll put the information, the contact information on the website, but, um, just want to thank you for spend, spending the time with Anytime. us and, and sharing about mm-hmm. it. And, you know, for those of you who do have an issue or you think that you, you, you know, you might, uh, need some assistance, um, you know, get it. That's really the exactly. only thing, yeah, you know, yeah, don't one. really question it. And, and, and really, whether it's for yourself or for your children, um, you know, that's why we do the show is because, you know, we can try to become, you know, better, better people, better parents and to, to help our kids. I mean, it's really like you said, this is a generational thing. I mean, you're not just fixing it for yourself, but you're sort of breaking that cycle, yeah. you know, for the for the people who come next. So. Um, so thank you. Thanks Anytime. For, Great job, guys. Here, so. Thank you. Appreciate it. And with that, we will see you next time. Right Take on. care. Take care, guys.